Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human podcast, where the human manager, Mark Labasque, features experts who have a track record in humanising workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive. Hey there, it's Mark Labusque for the Simply Practically Human podcast. And today I was delighted to be joined by Ian Bergwin, who has been a client of mine for a couple of years, but it's also I consider now to be a good friend. Ian's going to talk about this whole idea of perhaps we use complexity as a way of avoiding doing the real stuff, the hard stuff, or the human stuff, as he talks about today. He's going to share some really simple tips on why making time with your people and not cancelling that time is so important, about why getting rid of weasel words and just being open to what's going on is a way to bring people together, and that being brave in having the conversations that need to be had is a great way to start to create bonds with people and not to push them away. I really enjoyed this episode, and I'm sure you will too. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Ian Bergwin, who's a uh, general manager at uh, state-based government business in Victoria in the state that I live in. Ian, welcome to the um, podcast. Hi, Mark. Great to have you on. Hey, let's kick off. Before we start to get into the practical tools and tips that you're going to share with my listeners, let's just maybe kick off. Can you remember how we connected? Yeah, we met at the zoo. It was all a course on human instincts and we had this strange broke was brought in to talk to us about how people worked and uh, what motivated people and I suppose the long and the short of it was much of that work. That few days resonated with me and I sort of took the opportunity to take it further and explore it in more detail with uh, my team. Fantastic. Just on that, just what resonated the most? I think because... The, the conversations got to the guts of what makes people people, the need to survive, the need to uh, have certain needs fulfilled, and it was really how that related to the workplace that worked for me, rather than just trying to impart skills to people in how to do their jobs better. Fantastic, and I think we're seeing a lot more of that approach in, in the business world today. Thanks for sharing that. So now um, let's hear a little bit about you, a bit of your background. Not so much around your background in your workplace, but just, you know, where you grew up and some of the influences on you over time. Well, you'll pick up from the accent, probably. Uh, I'm actually English. I grew up in Shropshire, so I'm, a, I'm something of a, of, a, of a country boy. But I started work as a student apprentice at Ironbridge Power Station, rather further back than I'd like to comment on, to be honest. Uh, but since I, I've mostly worked in industry on transmission in, in the UK, I did, I've done a stint in Zambia as well, and I've been in Australia since 2001, except for a four-year period in New Zealand. Right. Again, that's all been in, in, until I came into a government regulation that was in transmission. What's been the big influences on me? I thought, I'd, I, I, two things spring to mind. One is my dad, because my dad actually was a labourer and a truck driver. But he had this innate ability to work through people, mostly in the farming community. So I've seen him dealing with people who were, you know, literally knights of the realm, you know, sirs and uh, farm labourers, and they've all loved him. And so because he cared, he was interested, he was respectful, but he always sort of engaged with people with good intent. So there was never a bad word said about him. Good intense language we hear now, it's not something that I had in my mind at the time, but there was something that really intrigued me about the way he was. 
And I think another influence for me is in the later parts of my career is actually some of the absolute bastards I've worked with. Yeah. It's not all mother of an apple pie. I'll, I'll give you an example of... I had a, a guy who was my boss, and I think he was actually seeking to publicly undermine and embarrass me just because he had the power. And this was, when, again, I was in the UK. I'd come back from working in Zambia, and he pretty much stood up in the canteen of a major UK public company and asked me if I'd caught AIDS yet. Oh, that's interesting. So where'd you go from that? But the inferences were obvious, and the intent was to demean and he was a senior guy. It's, so interesting. it's not just the junior people who get it wrong. You know, it's the senior people really getting bullied. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about that. And I think one of the things I've heard in an earlier episode was that we can learn from both the good experiences we've had. So, you know, with your father and just the way that he could read people and, and connect with people. But there's also the opportunity for anyone who's listening to this to take some lessons from the bad ones. Yeah. So I think there's a really great pickup there. Anything else? What, what about in your spare time these days? What do you like to do? <laughs> spare time? What's that? Uh, <laughs> my grandkids uh, live with us along with their mum. So that's why I say what spare time, that's where my focus is really in, in spend, getting a lot of joy out of spending all this time with the little people. And then my, my, my other sort of buzz, I suppose I play music. I've been a bass player in a band for many years, so it's something totally different from anything else I do. I'm clearly not very good at it because I'm not famous yet. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be famous. We don't have to, who, who would you like to be? If you were, think of famous musicians out there today, who would you like to be most like? Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, I have to really sort of ruminate on that. If it, if 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 I stuck to the the skill set I got, I probably you know Paul McCartney wouldn't be bad. Yeah, <laughs> he's still, still going well, still alive and loaded. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, but a, but a great talent as well. So you know, we can only aspire, can't we? Yeah, it's all. It's also nice. That you said you know you made that point about um, spare time, but. You know, getting the opportunity to spend time with your family, I think, is an important mm. thing that I know that you certainly encourage in your organisation. And aspiring to be Paul McCartney, there's nothing wrong with that. No, there isn't. But I think you touched on that point. People who need to be in the office before I get in and leave after I leave, they don't impress me. It's not important. You know, this work-life balance thing is important. And the reaction you're more likely to get from me, to be honest, if you're in here that often, you're probably not very good at your job. Yeah. That's what I'd be questioning, not whether you're industrious and, and trying to impress. So there's a really good point there. For those people at the moment who beat the boss in and also the ones that wait till the boss leaves and then they madly run off to catch their train or whatever, don't work for Ian. He doesn't appreciate well, that. Well, Shania Twain put it, that don't impress me much. <laughs> Uh, very good. You talked before about, you know, with the zoo situation and, and even your own experiences and the, the truly human element. What's going on in organisations, do you think, that are embracing that more human element? What, what do you see? And give us some examples, perhaps, from some of the things you're doing as well. Yeah, that, that's, that's a really in, in, interesting question. I mean, let, let's put it this way. I mean, when I sort of started ruminating on this... Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of comments in the past where people have talked, oh, well, the question's been, how do you deal with these millennials? You know, you've got to go softly, you've got to sort of mollycoddle and treat them differently. And my experience and sort of my opinion is actually, it's bullshit. <laughs> it really is. I've got to call it for what it is. I don't think uh, millennials are any different from the rest of us. All of us, whatever age we are, whatever background, we're all the results of the environments we've grown up in. And in reality, we adapt to survive and we want to belong. I think 
what's changed these days is actually the world's a much smaller place. We're better connected. We feel a better sense of uh, a, our own accountability for the welfare of others, often those that are a long, long way away now. But also, um, we're vulnerable to those that are a long, long way away as well. So I think that has engendered a sense of awareness in people and a sense of vulnerability that I suppose it, it wasn't there for me at first glance. I needed a bit of thinking around that. And if anybody's ever seen a photograph called Carl Sagan's Pale Blue Dot, that really is a great way of understanding vulnerability. Talk a bit on, more on about a human that. scale. If you don't know what it is, by the way, just go Google it. But basically, it's a photo that was taken from um, the other side of Saturn, and it actually shows uh, Saturn's rings. But right in the distance is this little tiny pale blue dot. And that tiny pale blue dot is the Earth. Mm. And he makes the point that everyone you've ever known, everybody possibly you ever will know, every experience, everything that's ever happened is all on encapsulated on that tiny little blue dot that's not more than a couple of pixels in a photo. And you think of all the, the grief and the war and the aggro that goes on on this planet, you think, what the hell are we fighting over? You know, we're just such a small thing in such an immense universe. But it really talked to me then about, you want to know what vulnerable is? Go out there and have a look at this little tiny piece of rock we're floating around on. Yeah, that's I think pretty vulnerable. Yeah, I think sometimes um, it's a great point that you make about that. And I'd uh, you know go and Google that up, listeners. That little blue dot. Now I, I sort of think about how we make things bigger than what they really need to be. And you've sort of just talked about that now. What are some simple and practical things that you can suggest to managers that are going to be listening here? Particularly, you said it took you a bit of time to understand this. What well, are some simple, practical things you do to create a more human environment? Well, all I can tell you, Mark, is, is how I try to do it, whether it works for other people, that's up for them. But I've got three sort of tenets that I work with. I make time for people and I make time to engage with people and I never cancel that time. Let's be clear, I'm happy to reschedule it. But if I say, you know, make arrangements to put time into talking to people about them or about the job, it doesn't matter. I never cancel it, never walk away, never say, look, I'm too busy. I might say something else has come up and I'll here's another time, but we always stick with it. I think the other one is, uh, God, these, these things, they, also, they sound so trite in a way, but it's true. Be honest and aim to add some value, you know, good intent if you like, but, and that's about how you approach people. That's about being open and being frank and not hiding behind the weasel words and the umming and the erring and just sort of say it as it is. And if over time people come, I believe, come to believe in you. And above all, be brave. Mm. Talk a bit more about that. What does brave look like for the listeners? What, what could you share with them there? This touches another point, I suppose, which is, I'll address it another way, uh, complexity. Things always seem so complicated. Things always seem so hard and there's so many reasons not to do something. And I have a view that making life complicated is what we do to avoid doing stuff. It gives you a lot of reasons and a lot of things to hide behind. I can't do that because of this, because of that. In reality, just being direct works. Now, you know, for the avoidance of doubt, being direct does not mean being brutal. It does not being hard. It, in fact, means being kind. But above all, it means being honest and talking about how you feel about maybe what people are doing, whether it be good or bad. And it's not all about bad conversations. It's good stuff as well. But be honest and be brave enough 
to say what you feel and say what you think directly. Mm. Don't wrap it up. So making time for people and making sure that you honour that time you've made for them, being honest with people and in a way that's done with good intention. And then the other one around being brave is, again, about being brave could be about not brave, not as in a negative connotation with it, but just there's a level of kindness that comes in being brave. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not about beating your chest. Yeah, interesting. So complexity, really, really interesting concept. And this whole idea of the Simple and Practical Human podcast is I'd love to get your thoughts as I have with the other guests on why is it that we seem to be chasing complexity as some sort of prize, as something that allows us. I know you just mentioned it. In some respects, it helps us avoid doing work we don't want to do. Are there any other reasons why you think that we're trying to make things more complex than they need to be? Well, apart from, you know, as I say, something to hide from, Maybe people make it complex because they think it almost boosts the ego. Look, I can do hard stuff. I can do complicated stuff. I can keep all these balls in the air at once. Maybe you can, but sooner or later, you know, something will fall down or you'll just get in a position where you'll get found out. Yeah. So I have spent my career, I think, trying to get it simple. Mm. The simpler I can make it, the better I can understand it and try and distill things down to their essence. I might look smarter, I might more intelligent, better if I can solve the, the complex thing. Your ability to distill things down to the simple, I'm just wondering if you could share with the listeners, is there a bit of a process that you follow to be able to just bring things back to being simple? I don't think there's a process. I think there's a probably a practice of using my ears in my mouth in the ratios in which they're distributed around my face. So I don't <laughs> talk too much and do a lot more listening and, and thinking and maybe some reflective comments. So you're really telling me this and try and get some affirmation. It's like then the conversation becomes a handshake, not just about receiving. If you reflect something back and say, so you're really telling me this, are you? It just gives an opportunity to just distill it down and a little bit more or be told actually no you've got it wrong mm. Mm. interesting that um, a bit of active listening in there and, and sharing that back because I think you know I hear a lot today about we listen to respond rather than listen to learn and, and perhaps there's something in the frantic pace that we're supposed to work at today that we haven't got time to really to, to take different things to that. I actually think what's going on most people when they're listening are thinking about what they're going to say next yeah they're not actually thinking about what are they being told? Mm. And what do you think the danger of that is uh, as a manager of, you know, managing, you're managing a big group of people with a very important role in around a safety role. What's the danger of getting caught up in getting ready to just say what you want to say rather than listening actively? It's twofold. You know, if the people say I'm talking to aren't listening, but if there's the risk they don't get the message and they don't get the context around the work that I'm asking them to do, and if I don't actively listen to what they're telling me and just think about, no, no, I want you to do this, that there's a very good chance I'll be asking people to do the wrong thing mm. because I don't know it all. I rely on all of these inputs from all of these people around me to try and paint the picture of what the big issues are. And if you think back to that um, bad boss you mentioned earlier in the episode, what sort of things were they doing that would tell you that they were only just happy to do their own thing and go their own way? What, what did you see there? In that case, that was an individual who certainly relied on his power and his status to stay where he was, yep. 
in that case, by demeaning me, I suppose, in that way, or inferring things, he thought it was essentially, he was just beating his own chest and saying, look at me, look how big and powerful I am. And I can do this to this guy who's supposed to be running this business over here. So all he did really was engender a degree of fear. Yeah, the good old, uh, the, the powerful boss who uses power for evil and creates fear, which then relates to people then basically not saying anything. It's the worst example I've seen, but I've, I saw the behaviour when he was dealing with clients and other senior people in government overseas, you know, and mm-hmm. I thought, you know, how do you get away with this? Yeah. The reason I ask you that, Ian, is that these are real examples that people who are listening to this will be able to relate to, you know, mm-hmm. and this one I'm trying to keep this podcast real and not into some fluffy theories about what you should do. So I really appreciate you sharing that. I want to ask you this one without notice, but I reckon you have a great answer for this. One of the things that when we were working together that, that came up that you are particularly fond of using back in the workplace was this idea of enjoyment and achievement. Mm. So the whole idea of coming back and having your people talk about some things I enjoyed at work with this and some things I've achieved outside of work or maybe someone else I know has achieved is this. Can you maybe talk a little bit about why that struck such a chord with you and how it's been useful? It struck a chord with me on a personal level simply because it was different. Mm. But that wasn't the key. What the value was the fact that I watched my people take it up and they came away from those sessions with this stuff on A3 sheets of paper. What have I enjoyed at work? What have I achieved at home? And it stuck it on the wall. And suddenly all the other conversations start up because everybody, people are walking past saying, well, what's all this? That's rubbish. That's not the way it works. But it started a conversation. So by some process of osmosis, you start getting the conversations going on in the business. The other thing that it did which is probably its most valuable, is when we go through that process, we actually learn a lot about the people we're working with. Mm. You know, they're not just people I work with now. They're people who have some understanding of what some of my other issues are and what makes me the human being or what makes them the human being they are. And that provides for a much richer relationship and, you know, I'm sat in an office now with glass walls. I could walk through that office now and I know something about all of those people. Not a big thing, yep. but a something, a little thing. And that point that you made, that it's not just based around the team that you're in. Because, you know, you manage a lot of people. You've got your seven or eight direct reports and then you've, they've all got their teams. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is these conversations can then start to flow across teams. Yes. Yeah. And how's that important to be able to start to connect different teams together? It enables them more readily to engage because they know each other a little bit anyway and because for the business benefit for me, our role is changing. Our role is getting more complicated and there are a lot bigger gnarly issues to deal to. And a lot of these big gnarly issues we actually don't know the answers to. But the people now are much more used to working together on common problems. Yep. And that comes about because they've had the opportunity to have this sort of personal engagement over a period of time. What's funny, Mark, is if anything, uh, now this this group works so well. I mean, this, this group is 50, 60 people now. The rest of the business is looking at them and trying to think, what the hell are they up to sometimes? Because they have a way of having very robust discussions, which everybody else 
can't quite get, you know, and they don't realise they're not actually falling out. They're actually nutting out a problem. Yeah, interesting. They're not falling out something, they're nutting out something. And I think this is an interesting thing for listeners to think about too is that, you know, as you do humanise your workforce and your workplace and they have these conversations, to the outside world or the outside eye looking in, they can be like, oh, they're not getting on very well. It's actually just that they're having conversations that need to be had Mm. rather than having ones they think they want to have. So... This is the interesting thing. We tend to call this human work soft skills and the soft stuff. Mm. But, you know, your view on that as well is it's... It's, it's not it's bloody hard work. It is hard work, but it's, it, it's worthwhile work. Yeah. And it's enjoyable work and it's very fulfilling when mm. it works. Mm. It, it's really great to have someone on who can share with um, the listeners just these, these very simple and practical things. And, and these are the outcomes that happen. And I really love what you said. This work is hard. Yeah. Mm. The soft stuff, apparently the soft stuff, as I see, is the hard stuff. And that's why I also think people go to complexity. Exactly. I was going to t- you take the words over. No, will you please yeah, share your yeah. thoughts on that? Well, it's the same thing. I would say it's, if you make it hard and complicated, it makes it easy to avoid doing anything. Mm. Yeah, there's a great professor who, who I met, met through adaptive leadership called Marty Linsky who talks about our artful skill of work avoidance, our ability Mm. to step away from the real work and go back to doing the stuff that's easier. But we can actually make it look hard and complicated if we want to. Anything else that you'd like to share that you think might be useful for any manager that's listening to this today, some of the great lessons you've learned along the way? Yeah, I'll give you one. And this is based on personal experience. Don't emulate your boss. I've been there. I've done that probably quite unconsciously I had a time when I, early in my career as a manager and I found I was succeeding by emulating my boss and my boss's boss and then my boss and my boss's boss left and a new one came in and he called me in and said he'd been doing some soundings and basically told me he thought I was just a mini me yeah. or he'd been told I was a mini version of the other one mm. just another little Hitler yeah. um, and to be honest I was absolutely mortified because I sort of started emulating without consciously doing it, mm. knowing that there were certain values I actually didn't like, but they were being seen in me. You know, I was at that time, I was in an engineering role, uh, so I was your classic Meyer Briggs ESTJ, and it was actually a behaviour. I'm actually, I've done MBTI again now, and I'm not going to, but I'm not ESTJ, mm. but I managed to make myself behave that way, and it, it took me a while to sort of reflect on that and said, okay, all right, I'm a bit ambitious, I've been a bit pushy, but when I find that people are actually saying, no, no, I'm, I'm beginning to be that person I don't want to be, that's when I had to stop the sketch and say, all right, who am I, what am I about? Yeah. And I really wanted to be more about that thing I'd seen in my dad, which I couldn't well articulate, yep. than I ever wanted to be in terms of uh, these other guys. The powerful bosses. Yeah. And, and then what, what advice then do you give to your people today then around that? Well, I should be telling them to emulate me, shouldn't I? But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> look, my, they're all different. They've got different skill sets. And, they're, 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 you know, my, my view for them is they should be themselves, but be real and be there for their people. Fantastic. That's what I give to them. Fantastic. Love it. Just, again, simple, practical, be yourself, be real. And having met your people, they are all different, but they have all built a bit of a common thread of this human stuff, Mm. which is great. If people want to connect with you, 
find out a bit more about you, maybe to book your band and get you to come and play a gig for them somewhere? <laughs> what are the best ways to connect? Oh, look, the easiest way to find me is LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, my name's Ian Bergwin. There is no other Ian Bergwin on the planet I'm aware of. <laughs> and there's only one on LinkedIn that I've found. So just go on there. If you want to touch base, drop me a line. Fantastic. And it, uh, most of the connections, again, through this podcasting um, series have been made through LinkedIn and most people say that first so I think there is some power if you're listening and you're not investing your time in there it's a great place to invest Ian thanks for being a guest on the Simply Practically Human podcast it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the pleasure's been all mine thanks Mike I hope you enjoyed the episode with Ian Bergwin I certainly enjoyed having that conversation with him some really simple and practical tips from someone who's been managing people for many, many years and has also, as he said, worked with great managers and some pretty lousy managers or some bastards, as he called them, but he learned from both. So I think there's something in that. Hey, if you like this episode, why not rate it five stars? And if you loved it, share it with your friends. Until the next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.